shit than whatever happened with Marvel and it now being the overwhelming cultural force on Earth. Hell yeah, we could live in the live action like 60s anime extended universe. We could have like a Devilman franchise now. Everything would be horny and gender fluid and we'd all be ninjas. Anyway, since we're talking... We have to go back! Since we're talking about the world that could have been under the Wachowskis, this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And uh, this is a show where we watch the television series The Big Bang Theory. We sort of talk about it, but also we just talk about things that we'd actually rather be uh, engaging in. Uh, Not to say that we're not starting to enjoy this show, and hey, guess what? Going to front load it. I'm going to give today's episode uh, 9 out of 13. Hell, no, what? I'm going to bump it up one. 10 out of 13. Kyle. How do you feel about today's episode? I'll give it like an 7 to 8 out of 13 because it is it is a good episode. All right. 7.5 so. out of 13. So I feel weird because like I cannot say that like this was my favorite episode, that it blew my mind or anything. But I think since uh, giving our, our more generous rating system that we've started using, this is the highest rating I've given. Um, and today's episode is Season 5, Episode 20, the transporter malfunction and uh i'm gonna do my best to keep the summary as short as possible but uh this is one of those episodes as i like to say is rife with incident uh anything you'd like to discuss before i try to summarize kyle or shall i get a going yeah let's hit it okay so uh it starts with uh the gang are all hanging out at leonard and sheldon's place uh sheldon is annoyed that penny keeps eating for free uh, Swalowitz is trying to get reception, uh, wedding reception stuff ready, and Raja uh, insists that he's bringing a plus one, but refuses to admit who it is because it is obviously a bluff. Cut to Raj doing a video chat with his parents, uh, and initially uh, his parents are like, "Oh, hey, uh, I'm, we're glad that you finally are opening up to us. Obviously, you're gay, and this is your coming out moment." And that's not, it's obviously played for goofs, not the case. Uh, but Raj is instead saying, hey, relationships are not working out for me. I think I need your help. Heavily implied, it is time for an arranged marriage situation. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, his parents do help out. He ends up meeting a lovely young woman, uh, Lakshmi, I believe her name is. Uh, but it turns out that she is totally gay. Uh, And she assumed that Raj was also gay and that they were together on the scam of entering into a uh, ostensibly heterosexual relationship so their conservative parents would leave them the fuck alone. Uh, And what then follows up is actually a fairly tragic (laughs) story point uh, that doesn't get too serious, which is Raj, uh, in response to this, is like, maybe this is for me. Maybe this sham marriage, where at least I have someone to come home to, is as good as it gets for old Raj. And the, the very last scene of the episode is uh, Bernie and Wallowitz talking Raj out of that uh, and getting him a puppy. Even though Wallowitz is not really confident that it is going to get any better for him. At least he's got a puppy. 
So that's that's really the bulk of the episode is a, a surprisingly raw centric episode of him uh, kind of grappling with whether he's actually ever going to find love. Meanwhile, uh, Sheldon is uh, playing around on a whiteboard in the back of the apartment and he's getting horny at the idea of quantum physics. Sheldon, who, um, in spite of having Amy just like occasionally mouthing around his crouch area, hoping that he will have any sort of physical response, uh, only feels what seems to be physical ecstatic pleasure at the thought of quantum physics. So that that's a new Sheldon development. And the whole B-plot here is uh, Penny to make up for all the free food she's been getting buys Leonard and Sheldon uh, these uh, like late 70s, early 80s, or actually maybe they're from the actual time the show came out. I yeah, so. they're Migos, so they're probably like, most of the Mego action figures were like contemporaneous, I oh, think. Oh, dag. Well, so... Old ass uh, Star Trek, not totally action figures, but uh, toys like the um, transporter machines. And uh, Sheldon in I didn't bother to see the credits to see if this was the case, but it was a Leonard Nimoy voiceover cameo, right? That was him. I mean, I didn't. I either that or it was a goddamn fantastic imitation of one. But yeah, so let's just go ahead and assume that this was indeed a Leonard Nimoy voiceover. Uh, who voices uh, the uh, a Spock figure that convinces Sheldon through a dream to open the packaging on one of these toys because they are indeed meant to be played with. Uh, he plays with it gleefully for about five seconds before it breaks, and then he does a switcheroo with Leonard's version. So Leonard, if he ever does open it, is going to find out that he has the broken one. Uh, he later has a guilt dream where uh, Leonard Nimoy tries to convince him into doing the right thing. Uh, but Sheldon, I think, does a pretty good job of saying, like, Leonard, if he never opens it, is never going to find out, and there's no reason to follow through on this. Uh, but guilt, nonetheless, does get the best of him. Um, and Leonard finds out uh, there's a funny moment. Well, you know, it's a fairly funny moment where he, Sheldon is totally content trying to pin the whole thing on Stuart, the comic shop owner. Oh, and there's a cameo from a Gorn, which is the lizard guy from everyone knows the the OG Star Trek fight scene of the very ridiculous stiff rubber looking lizard guy. He he makes a an appearance wearing uh, an apron. Oh, and uh, so Sheldon, uh, yeah, he fesses up. Uh, it takes him a few tries. He has to lie about four or five times before he gets it right. Uh, and that's the episode. So kind of an actual emotional journey for Raj that gets genuinely pathetic uh, but remains nonetheless lighthearted and then um, Sheldon giving in to his base instincts and trying to cover for it. How are you feeling, Kyle? What are your thoughts on this one? Uh, I mean, uh, there, first off, I wanted to point out that the thing with the Gorn is technically a callback to an earlier episode of the Big Bang Theory because there was another episode where I can't remember what Sheldon was guilty about, but he was feeling guilty about something and it caused him to have recurring dreams where he was chased by a Gorn. Ah, well, it's just references within references within references. Um, also, I'm in, like, they make this, this is sort of a niche thing, but I, I know that there are people, in fact, like, not only are there people like this, but there are people who this really is, like, an economic business model for them, so I kind of get it. But I'm, I've am i always been really sort of annoyed with this whole idea of 
collectibles, i.e. you buy something that was originally intended to be for children and you are not ever allowed to take it out of the box because of its, like, collector's value. Oh, it's disgusting. And I uh, have never really done that myself, but... Like, I do under... If, like, I'm not saying, like, if I, if I went into someone else's fucking house and they had, like, their collectibles, I would not give them a hard time about them and I definitely wouldn't open it out of the box, but if someone was, like... But, you know, just the idea of, like, you are not allowed to touch this because I think it's, you know, technic. I think it, you know, it's going to be worth thousands of dollars someday. It's just like, dude, it's a toy. Well, th- this was inevitable, but it's it's time we talk a little bit about NFTs because <laughs> that's what I've been thinking about a lot uh, in re-NFT is how you're essentially creating, you know, a, a pack of digital trading cards and That's a good comparison, yes. To, to look back at actual collectibles uh, and to, to look at anything that has gone up in value or maintained value, and I think to find any sort of real, rational, predictable uh, link to, 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 to show you that value is impossible. Like... Um, and I don't know, like the most obvious example, and I haven't seen the most recent, there's a documentary on about about it, but you know, like the people who heavily invested in Beanie Babies because they were confident that that was going to be the next thing to become a collectible that was going to bring them infinite value later on. It's just absurd. I, I, like, I don't know. It's this idea that someone issues a thousand of something, you have one of those thousand in that everyone over time is going to want those other 999 so badly, regardless of what the thousand things are that you're, you're eventually going to make away with a, a steal. It's, it's insane. So collectibles suck. Anyway, there's also um, a fun is... donkey video about them. If you ever want to watch video game, shitty collector's edition things. Yeah. I mean, I just, it's just, I, I think I object to the idea of you're not allowed to have fun with something that is designed for having fun with that. It's only about, it's a, it's like the, it's like the small scale equivalent of like the, those, you know, not to get too, too, uh, Marxist on you, but you know, everybody always complains about the empty houses and all the homeless people. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like somewhere out there, there's a toy, there's a child that would fucking love to play with some Power Rangers action figures, but some asshole has a crate of them sitting in a box somewhere that no one is allowed to touch because he's waiting to get them signed by the dude who played Tommy and then he, they're gonna go on eBay. Well, and, and not even on such like a, <laughs> Well, I was going to say not such a sinister angle, but that's not true. It's absolutely an evil thing. Uh, you know, like PS5s even. Like, you're not even waiting for, like, the long-term, I can't wait until this thing becomes a treasure sort of value. But you're just, you know, you're buying up what's available, and then you get to sell it at, like, triple, quadruple, whatever the value because uh, you're a creep, because <laughs> you got to yeah. it first. Yeah, I feel like because of the society that we live in and the way the world works, we could come up with approximately 10,000 more examples of this phenomenon, but we should probably move we on. We should probably move on, yes. Uh, oh. So, yeah. I think we talked about, like, just last week, how, like, there hadn't been, like, how Raj had completely faded into the background of the show more than any other, other character, as, like, Amy and... Uh, Bernadette got more time, and I guess it's interesting to note that Amy isn't in this episode at all. But no, uh, like literally not uh, in a single scene. And uh, not to sound narcissistic, but 
I do believe the fact that we got a Rod-centric episode is proof that I am life's main character and or that God is listening to my prayers. So, yes! Yes! Uh, we continue. Yeah, we don't have time to unpack that. So, yeah, so it was just, it was interesting. And you're right, it's like a genuine, like, when was the last, I guess... I guess there was the episode where we find out that Bernadette is ambivalent about having children was like the last episode where I was like, maybe there are some stakes here. But this one actually, because they play it out longer and they really just sort of like hover around like how sad Raj is most and desperate. Like, you know, without without being too uh, dark about it, they, you know, they really, it, it has some weight to it. Yeah, and, you know, something that's not explored in the episode, but that is absolutely implied, is that uh, Raj's parents, when doing this setup, they probably knew that Lakshmi was gay, uh, and they thought they were, like, doing their son a favor by, like, like, hey, you know what, let's let's have him in this relationship, you know, let's have him, let's let him have his little conventional life. And let's let him have let this couple be a part of our our greater married society, even though internally they know that this is surely like purely for convenience. Um, yes, and that and that Raj knows all of that himself, and is just like that's the breaks, huh? You know, that's that, that that's how Raj gets it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really it go it goes in some uh, some. I think they even say at the beginning. Uh, oh my god, you're finally... Look, we don't care that you're gay. Just keep it to yourself, which... Uh, yes. Yeah, actually, I mean... I don't know. I don't know if this is an accurate portrayal of, like, sort of benign homophobia or not in media. I, I'd rather not think about it too long, but it is sort of... Well, I think... Like, actually, you're right. As, well, I don't as, know if I'd say benign homophobia, but, you know, it's relatively modest homophobia. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in that they're not disowning him, I suppose. But you're right, it is. And even more, I guess even more dark than Raj is the lady, right? Because she's like, oh no, this is my... It's like, her plan doesn't actually change by the end of the episode. Raj isn't going to... But presumably she is going to go find some new person yeah. and not live her truth with them. And for her, when she has the conversation with Raj, like... For her, there there is she doesn't dip her toe in the water about the subject matter. She's like, "Oh yeah, you're gay, right? Like that's why we're doing this. Like I just want to get my parents off my back. You and me, we're on the same page." And Raj is like, "What? What? No, you're like you're gay in the same way that like a woman who would like men would be gay if she were a man, right?" He's like, "No, I just I'm gay. I'm into women." And he's like, "Okay." I guess we can make this work. <laughs> it's... Oh, and I just forgot. Oh, oh, cause it wasn't related to the relationship specifically, but while it's, I can't remember. I think it was a comment about arranged marriage or something And Raj, maybe for the first time in the series is like, Hey, Hey buddy, I'm sick of your fucking racism. And Wallowitz immediately deflects and is like, you just made a joke about locks yesterday. <laughs> and I was so mad because I was like, Raj finally stands up for himself. Like the first person, the first time that anyone has said some sort of like offhand comment about his race or ethnicity or you know anything about his his culture in the series, uh, and he 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 puts his foot down and just gets trampled over anyway. So, I mean, it wouldn't have been an incredible victory to begin with, but it was discouraging. It, I'm, I'm sad. I'm heartbroken. 
Yeah, it is a bit of a bummer, isn't it? Speaking of, this is not that important a thing. It's just constantly annoying me with the continuity. Are we just supposed to assume... I mean, again, they show him with a with a, a glass of wine or a bottle of beer in his hand in every scene. But are we just supposed to assume that Raj is is drinking at every point in this episode? Because they never even touch upon the fact that the whole reason he is single is ostensibly because he does not know how to talk to women. He literally is psychologically incapable of talking to women while sober. Yeah, and at least at the beginning of the series, you know, the only way he could talk to women was getting so drunk that, you know, he would get over that inhibition but become a sloppy yeah, asshole. Yeah, he was... Right, and so in this episode, he's just, like, he's talking with this woman, and he's being completely normal and charming, and it's like, if you're capable of being this person around women, then theoretically your problem is solved. Actually, the more I think about this, the more now it kind of bothers me, because, like, they don't address, like, why, like, they make it seem like it's so, like, he's this super nice guy who's who's just single for no reason well, and it's more like and more though they're, they're not it's it's not just for no reason it's they they've, they've more or less abandoned this uh this inhibition about not being able to talk to women when he's sober but they've replaced it with him you know it coming off as gay or generally just being a fat or ladylike and it's not really there in his regular everyday character and mannerisms but you know, everyone is looking for, like, any sort of, like, slightly effeminate thing he does as an excuse to, like, jab at him about it. Uh, it'd be funnier if it were more obvious, but it's not. Well, yeah, and it's not It's not even, like, uh, I mean, I guess, but maybe in 2008 when the show was being made or whatever, but it's not, like, even, like, like I'm supposed to believe some woman is going to, like be appalled by a dude who makes his own lava cake or whatever? Are you fucking kidding yeah. me? Like, that dude... And they're like, oh, he has a skincare routine. Oh, he has little soaps in the bathroom. Like, yeah, he doesn't live like an animal. Who gives a shit? <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure these are all pluses, actually. Yeah, like... And you're right, that it, it might be because of the, the difference uh, just in time. Because, like, so a term that I hadn't heard in a long time uh, was metrosexual, which... Uh, right at you know when when that term was popular, it was uh, still seen as like pretty cute and a, a little kind of like uh, swishy gay. <laughs> if you were like, we have come <laughs> such yeah, we have come such a long way in such a short amount of time. I was just thinking about like, and nowadays it's like, eh, he's a femboy. He's you know he's someone who you know sometimes he dresses you know he literally wears a skirt and maybe some fishnets and we like to make jokes about pegging him, but he's still a straight dude. Well, that's still not mainstream, but it also yes is very acceptable nonetheless. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, ah, oh, the internet has has made us all better. <laughs> um. But I don't know, what else about, like, I feel like that hits all the major points of my notes, but anything else that you wanted to get into there? Um, is that like a, no, I mean, not, I think that's, that's most of it, is, uh, Hope Raj finds a girlfriend soon. Oh, did we talk about how they get him a dog at the end of the episode? Uh, I mentioned it in the summary, but that's all we've really talked about. I wonder, I'm mostly just wondering if we're ever going to see that dog again. No, never again. 
<laughs> I don't, you know what? I don't. I don't think anyone saw that dog ever again. I think that's that's a prop dog. It was one single use. It went. It went into the compost after that. And then speaking of things, uh, just because I was curious while you were giving the summary, I looked up that Mego transporter toy is a real toy. Uh, funnily enough, the first listing I found on eBay was specifically $28 for the box this toy would have come in. Not the toy, just the box. $28 for the box. Um, which is wild. But presumably part of that same phenomenon of if you have a... If you have a copy of the toy already and you want to uh, you want to trick someone into thinking that you never opened it, you can buy a vintage box and put it back in and tape it up and see if you can get away with it. Um, but also, it makes me wonder, did they fucking actually break that fucking toy just for this episode or was it already busted? Because if they... I hope they did. Because yeah, you know what? It's old. It's garbage. At this point, that's 60 years in the past. Actually, you know, I say that and then I... Th- I started thinking about uh, its um, archaeological value, if there ever would be any, and then I can't, I can't keep that bit going. Someone has to preserve that for history. <laughs> ah, so it looks like, interestingly enough, the toy created in the toy was made in 1975. So Star Trek had actually been canceled for six years, but uh, you know, actually, the toys became popular as the show became popular in syndication. So what a sweet deal. To be finished with a show and to just be like writing smooth on the next part of your career and for that sick uh, toy minor just there coming in. Well, that's exa- not to uh, not to go down to, but well, what the fuck show is this if I'm not going to go are, on this Are we talking about George Lucas? Are we going to go to George Lucas? No, I mean, George Lucas is a good example, but my favorite example of this is Mobile Suit Gundam, which not many people know this, but that show was actually like canceled mid-production. The original Gundam TV show was so unpopular on television that they only made two-thirds of it, and then they had to wrap it up very quickly because they were like, nobody's watching this shit. This is way too complicated for children, and the robots aren't cool-looking enough. And then they figured out – and then, like, the toy line that they made based on the show – like made so much fucking money that they were like well i guess we're making more of this show regardless and now everybody looks back and it's like the show was a masterpiece and whatever 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 but it was actually not originally very popular well because we're talking about popular toy lines based off of canceled anime i think it's time we move on to our nerd thing of the week they made a speed racer movie before they could make a mobile suit gundam movie what the fuck I'm not mad about it. I'm just saying, if you were placing bets, would that have been where your money was? I, I, I mean, I wouldn't have expected either to be live action, honestly. But I mean, we've had, we've had. I think you're right. We've had enough movies that have had mech-like things in them that just a straight-up mobile suit Gundam should have come first. That's like apparently like every two years they try to make Robotech into a movie and every time they start writing the script they're like, oh, actually we just remembered this like, I mean, first off, there's a lot of intellectual property issues and then there's like, oh yeah, the plot of this is fucking batshit insane. It's literally about dudes in robot suits fighting giants in space. We don't know how to make this in a way that makes sense for a modern audience. Well, I'm going to take that as an opportunity to talk about other things that I don't think make sense for a modern audience. I've recently, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, gone on a Wachowski journey. Uh, I 
because it came out, uh, watched The Matrix Resurrections, and uh, we talked about this very briefly on a previous episode, uh, but I hated it. I really, really hated it. And I don't. that's waned a little bit with time, but oof, just did not like it. But it did make me want to go back and explore the Wachowskis I once loved. And so I went back and I watched the original Matrix, and uh, that movie is still great. Uh, holds up fantastically, but it's not my recommendation because I'm sure you've all already seen it. Earlier today, I watched Cloud Atlas. Uh. Uh, that movie, uh, I, I think the description I was looking forward to giving is that it is ambitious, except that I don't know what it was going for. Uh, it is six stories uh, that span centuries and are sort of thematically linked, uh, maybe more so linked than that, but ultimately I think it's a big mess. Uh, and then the third Wachowski movie I've seen in the last few weeks is Jupiter Ascending, which I am recommending because it is the most fun of the Wachowski movies, or uh, a lot of movies I've, I've seen recently. Uh, and it is also just go-go wacky uh, bananas fun good times. And uh, the basic plot is that um, I always want to keep, I keep wanting to say uh, Jessica Alba, but it is not Jessica Alba. Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis. She's uh, during the like three seconds where everybody thought she was going to be like a breakout movie star. She, I, she holds her own. You know, she is not going to be that breakout star, but I think she is made it as a respectable actor. Uh, and she is, yes, the, the star, but not the breakout uh, smash success star of this film. Uh, she is she is Jupiter and she is a not quite regular schmegular girl who one day uh, is uh, abducted when trying to sell her eggs to buy a telescope uh, by a bunch of aliens. But that's okay, because Channing Tatum, who has wolf DNA and is also an alien, comes to save her. Uh, and he's like, hey, guess what? Everything you know about your world isn't really correct, which is uh, number one Wachowski thing. <laughs> um, and not to spoil too much, but if uh, you're going to have anything spoiled for you, or you don't want to think about these spoiled for you, uh, stop listening for 30 seconds. Uh, Channing Tatum uh, takes her to space and is like, so there's actually uh, a household uh, of warring siblings who are vying for power of your planet because... Uh, your very people are a valuable resource that we're all harvesting for uh, life extension purposes. And that is one uh, one piece of the epic drama going across this galactic scale. Um, and I think the, the way I would describe it uh, is to try to like sell it is that where it's very obvious that The Matrix was influenced by anime... Uh, I think Jupiter Ascending is the Wachowskis trying to use live-action uh, actors to make anime. Like, to me, it felt very much like a cartoon. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, felt kind of strange. It doesn't totally work with live-action uh, uh, actors. Um, and I don't know, it's one of those things where it's, it, it's kind of like Speed Racer in a way where... It's it's a lot of fun and there's like a lot of engaging action and it's it really it's clever and it's moving along at a good clip and it's 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 visually captivating. 
but there's just something like goofy about it and and it is too long that's um one drawback uh it's it's got it's 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 i can't i couldn't see exactly how many acts it literally has but it's a five act when it should be a three act i would say uh but um i think looking back the Wachowski's filmography mostly does not hold up but of their uh, films that are not that favorably looked back upon. Uh, I think Jupiter Ascending uh, has has stood out as one of the better ones. So uh, that's my recommendation. Go watch Jupiter Ascending. It's a hoot. Channing Tatum is a wolf boy, and it's fun there. I hear Eddie. I haven't seen it. I'm looking forward to it. I did hear when it came out, I remember people saying that Eddie Redmayne is absolutely batshit crazy in that movie. Yeah, he gives a really weird performance. I'd heard about it also leading up to it, and uh, he just, everything he does is in like a hateful whisper, and <laughs> I guess that's just him. That's Like, like before character. Jared Leto played the Joker, that was like the, everybody points to, somebody is trying too hard in a, <laughs> in a mid-budget movie uh, performance. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's the thing is like, it's it's got real B movie like it it it's Flash Gordon if you had a billion dollars to make it is what it felt like but um. it actually the vibe I always do you know what if I talk about Coheed and Cambria do you know who they are I do know who they are I didn't really ever get super into their stuff but I do know who they are well, I never got but like what little I know about the the interesting thing about their music if you don't actually like it is that there's accompanying comic books for all of their stories and it's like this weird space epic and the concept art i always see for like the coheed and cambria like comic books always looks a lot like jupiter ascending Mm. well i gotta go back and check that out so i can better appreciate this film that i'm getting better acquainted with lately probably it might just be sort of a generic like there's a lot of sci-fi vibe that's like that like mobius anyway i'm rambling i'm sorry uh i have been watching a bunch of uh spy and action thriller movies lately um i don't like uh so i was gonna start off by saying that uh you know i feel like the as the superhero genre has waxed um what has fallen by the wayside is how good like Action movies were have actually been really good in the last 15 years or so. Like, I don't remember, like, in a way that, like, I don't think we really appreciate, um, because, like, everybody's nostalgic for, like, the action movies of, like, the 80s, which were, like, sort of super cheesy, but fun, or the 90s, like, people, like, you know, talk about how good Die Hard and stuff was, and Die Hard is fantastic, but, you know, I've, I've basically, Long story short, I went I went back and I watched Mission Impossible's four, five, and six. Those are all fucking fantastic, just like action movies. Much more enjoyable on average than your average Marvel movie, except for like the really good ones. And I, it's just weird how good they are, yeah. as like as how good like the stunt work and the cinematography is in is them for like just artifacts of like, a genre that nobody, like, gives a shit about anymore. Well, and to, to briefly jut in, um, I think you're 100% correct, and something that was strange about watching The Matrix is how, at the time, those action scenes were so mind-blowing, and they still look great, but they look so slow and clunky compared to modern action scenes because they didn't have, like, these professional 
well, they, I mean, they had professional fight choreographers, but they weren't, like, training people to do, like, these lightning-fast martial arts also, which is, like, commonplace in every action movie now on top of these huge stunts and set pieces. And so, anyway, go ahead. It's You're right, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, so it's just... So I watched, the, I watched Mission Impossible 4, 5, and 6. I would recommend them as a trilogy because they are sort of a weird... Uh, so Mission Impossible, basically, uh, as a franchise, I've watched all of them recently, except for I didn't finish all of two, even though that one was pretty fun. And three, I didn't even try because that one's unwatchable. <laughs> but uh, but basically, for a franchise that like the first one came out in the early 90s, it's sort of like it's split into two. Every movie is very different from like movie one through movie three. Like they each have a very different style to them. Um, the first, I don't know if you know this, but Mission Impossible was directed by Brian fucking De Palma. Yeah, well, I know the first one tried to take itself pretty seriously. It is, it's like, it's almost, like, it, it's closer in tone to, like, well, it's a Brian De Palma, so it's yeah. closer in tone to a fucking Brian De Palma movie. And then number two, they're like, ah, oh, fuck it, let's get, let John Woo, why not? Fuck it, yeah. fuck it. Yeah, so there's way, serious but good tonal whiplash between the first and the second one. And the third one was directed by J.J. Abrams and is generally... Just not very the good. Third one with the Limp Biscuit soundtrack, or was that the second one? I don't remember, but I remember the third one has Philip Seymour Hoffman as a pretty compelling bad guy. But like the storyline is sort of all over oh. the place, and the action sequences are just not up to the qual. Like a large portion of the third one is just them piloting drone like robots around, and you're like, why did anybody think this was going to be like interesting? I th- remember the third one because I remember liking it at the time because it was like. A return to a more serious tone over the second one that was seemed kind of like off the wall, but I I also again think you're right that looking back it's I can't remember anything about it like it's none of it stood out. <laughs> yes, but then starting with four, they kind of soft reboot the series and they put it all in like a in a more streamlined continuity so that every movie sort of references points from the previous one and it's it's i mean in terms of stunt work 4 which is i think is uh ghost protocol has the best stunt work of anyone in the series that's the one that Brad Bird directed and that's the one where he climbs up the outside of the skyscraper nice. and and again that's actually Tom Cruise and he's actually climbing up the outside of a fucking skyscraper and it is phenomenal in a way that i don't know i think it's just the fact that like you you kind of think that he might actually fall and die and there's just something to that that you don't get in a lot of uh modern stunt work but then five and six sort of have a better more interconnected story that i appreciate the other weird thing that i was going to point out that's just kind of i don't know how to file this under interesting politics is there's a unified theme in the last three Mission Impossible movies that the bad guys, while they do want to murder everyone, they want to. They always have this interesting, uh, interesting philosophical, political ideology, which says, which is like, hey, you you realize that like the entire modern world capitalist order is corrupt and slowly killing all of us, right? And so the only way to really be free is to destroy it all and start over, like particularly in the last two, like, the bad guy straight up looks at Tom Cruise's character and is like, yeah, I know you think I'm the bad guy, but, you know, eventually, if you keep 
you know, protecting the old world order, it's all going to burn up in flames. And then won't you look like the bad guy for having like sustained this thing on life support until like there wasn't even enough energy left in the system for anything to be reborn because you were just so uh, interested in protecting the status quo that you didn't stop to think about how evil the status quo was, which again, to be fair in the movie, the guy saying this is like your classical, like, you know, released nerve gas into the village, set sure. off a nuke, crazy person. So yeah, Tom that's, Cruise settles it with a solid throat punch, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Not someone we should be taking political advice from. It's just weird to see someone who, if they weren't blowing up buildings, would have politics I basically agree with as, like, a consistent thread in the Mission Impossible movies. I mean, what's that have to say about your beliefs, huh? What's that have to say about your radical online left-wing politics, huh? I mean, I suppose this is... It's just... It's like a recurring theme, and, like, I get... It's not, I suppose, that much different than Fight Club, which was also just like, hey, what if we blew up all the banks, man? Yeah. So I shouldn't be so surprised. It's just, uh... It almost feels like a conspiracy. It almost feels like the Matrix, as a matter of fact. It's like some cabal of people are like, we know people keep talking about how fucked up the system is. We have to keep showing that the only we have to keep discrediting critiques against the system by making sure that all the villains in our movies have really good critiques against the system that are really compelling. And then showing those people and then having those people like repeatedly kick puppies in the face. Kyle, I'm. I mean, I'm ha- I'm happy that you've had such a good time with these Mission Impossible movies. I think you've somewhere internally have crossed a line that there's like a part of the road you can't go back. You, like you, you're, there's no going home now. You 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 are are now uh, just walking down the street looking for uh, open uh, gas uh, cans. Uh, so you start making Molotov cocktails. Like this is you now and. Like, I'm kind of happy I'm here to see it, but I just, I didn't expect it to happen here on the podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, someone's at the, uh, hey, does the FBI need a search warrant? Do you know? No, just okay. So... <laughs> uh, I also, last thing, I rewatched Casino Royale as well. That movie f- fucking slaps. I mean, I watched, uh, so just, as long as we're comparing action franchises, Mission Impossible 4, Fantastic Network, Mission Impossible 5 and 6, great stories. Uh, Casino Royale, best Bond movie, like, uh, probably best first Bond movie in a series, in a long, perfect reboot, great reintroduction to the character. Uh, Quantum of Solace, unwatchable mess. Just oh, complete, no. Just complete garbage. Spectre, I still, like, third rewatch through, I don't get what the big deal is, but Casino Royale holds up. Or, I'm sorry, not Spectre, I'm watching that one next. Skyfall. I don't get why everybody's so over the moon about Skyfall. Yeah. It's it's only fine. Skyfall, I think the reason, and I might be misunderstanding, but I think, I think the reason people liked it is that it had a really gloomy, vulnerable Bond. Like, Bond, like, has to... Like he's dealing with his past, he's going back to his family. Yeah, home. he's he's realizes that he's in his middle age and he won't be able to fuck forever. Uh, and I don't want that bond. Like I, <laughs> I want the bond that's just running around and he's like, oh, I'm horny. I'm hornier than I was thirty seconds ago. And yeah, I don't I don't need a bond that has to like reckon with his mortality. What well, what the I don't, fun is that? 
I don't hate that, but I don't think they handle it very well. Particularly like when his like when his final solution is eh. At least my Aston Martin has machine gun bullet turrets in it. It's like really that's that's not the that's not the solution to an existential crisis. That's kind of that's basically a non sequitur. Like at no point in the movie does he actually make peace with his past. They just they just he goes from like being slightly gloomy about like the fact that he's getting older to like you know like basically like and so I'm going to embrace the persona of like sean connery now and it's like oh okay a doesn't like lead to b but whatever it does you know it's a well shot movie the cinematography is fantastic casino royale is great though it is a great like the like daniel craig in that movie is like the perfect mix of like you can believe that he could like be super seductive and charming but also he is just a ruthless murdering psychopath <laughs> in a way like he just he goes from like yes i want to i want to fuck every married woman i see to oh i'm gonna twist that guy's fucking neck off with my bare hands in like the blink of an eye and you know they actually sort of do a good job of unpacking like the like how the kind of person who is built and wired like that is like could not have any other job. Like, Casino Royale is basically like, well, of course you became a spy and an assassin because if, like, if you were a, like, a, a accountant or a general contractor, you would be the dude in Falling Down. You would yeah. be, you like, would be Patrick Patron in American Psycho. Yeah, you're here because you're more useful to us than you are to uh, any ward of a prison. Like, this is... <laughs> You, you need to be here because at least we can put you to work. Um, also, a good movie, if you really, if you just love seeing nut damage, if you just want to see someone's <laughs> testicles get walloped. <laughs> that's, it's been a long time since I saw that movie. That is the scene that sticks out. It is true yeah. that when I went to rewatch it, like my first thought was, ah, I wonder how the scene where he gets, where they wail on his testicles holds up. Yeah, when I'm trying to like look back on Mission Impossible 3 and I'm like, I think that may have been well received at the time, but I'm not sure. And then you talk about the, the, Casino Royale reimagining, and I'm like, oh yeah, no, they definitely wailed on his nuts. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget a moment of that. You know, that's in that. That's in the book. That's like that is part of the original Bond mythos. Uh, is that that scene is in like Casino Royale? Well, I'm glad that that theoretically, you know, happened early in his career. That probably explained like. You need that to happen early on, so you're not too precious about your genitals. So you can well, that yeah, that I mean, like I said, it's a great origin. It's it's I mean, it's a fucked up origin story. But the two the two things we know about Bond are uh, or the three things we learn about Bond right at the beginning. His sort of Batman Begins, as it were, is you know he really fucking rocks at playing poker. One time he got his nuts got wailed on way too hard, and the only woman he ever who ever he like thought he might be in love with like betrayed him and was working for the Russians, and now he thinks they're all secretly bitches. Like those are the three facts about James Bond to have and to hold forever. What a hero we've yeah. worshipped for these nigh on sixty years. But yeah, I'm I'm totally with you about Skyfall and the fact just leading out now uh, about like the fact that it's the whole I'm getting old thing. It's like uh, it's like the scene in The Dark Knight Rises where the doctor is like, actually, Batman, your knees don't work so good anymore. It's like, who thought this was like what anyone wanted from this movie? Yeah, that's like 
when I want to see that heroes are or vulnerable. or or Rocky Five, where it's like, ah, oh, sorry, Rocky, all the fighting, <laughs> fighting uh, Drogo or whatever his name is. Now you have uh, no, so Drago. Now you have brain damage. That's different, and that's better. That's <laughs> that's fun. That they finally, after four Rocky movies, Rocky Five, a doctor has to sit Rocky down and be like, "What did you think was going to happen? Where did you think this was going?" And even better is that um, originally Rocky was supposed to die at the end of that movie, and instead, I guess because that was too depressing, in the fight with Tommy Gunn He's, at the he end, he gets up. He hears Mickey calls him out of the afterlife, and he gets up in street fights. Yeah, he gets like energized by a passing train that like fills him with the fucking energy of Philadelphia or something. And, uh, oh, I you know, let's stop there. I can't feel any better than thinking about old man Rocky not dying in the streets, being beat to death by his protege, and instead getting superpowers from a train. That feels good. Traditional heroes. Traditional heroes.